break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 14th of October, 2021. Very happy to be back with you on the show, and plenty for you here on the show as we always do. Going to be talking about hazard pay for frontline workers, or really how they're not getting as much as they should be. We're going to be talking about ongoing protest in the country of Tunisia. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the ongoing housing crisis in the United States. Well, as the drama continues in Congress over how to do less for working and poor people, one of the items on the chopping block as it concerns Narrowing the Democratic Budget Reconciliation Bill is housing. And that bill proposed $332 billion in funding for various housing priorities to address the major deficit in the availability of affordable housing in the United States. Despite the huge need, however, housing is now being discussed as one of the first things to get rid of to please the billionaire backers of conservative Democrats and Republicans who are blocking the passage of the budget bill. So now seems as good a time as any. To remind everyone that not only should not a dollar be cut from these proposals, but the situation is so serious, it really should be significantly increased if we're really going to address the shortage of housing in the U.S. In a recent comprehensive study from Pew, nearly 40 percent of the roughly 44 million renters in the country were quote unquote rent burdened. That is paying more than 30 percent of their income towards housing, which is the technical threshold used to measure housing affordability. And that number was actually a 19% increase since 2001. And further, the percentage of people who are quote-unquote severely rent burdened, that means paying over 50% of their income to rent, has risen 42% since 2001. One other slightly more recent measure, by the way, estimates that actually 45% of renters are rent burdened. Shamefully, 55% of households headed by someone 65 or older were rent burdened and more than one-fifth severely rent burdened. Of the 10.8 million renters in the category deemed to be extremely low income, which essentially means living well below the poverty line, 30% of those 10.8 million are senior citizens. And of course, cost burdens are disproportionately affecting people on the lower end of the income scale. For instance, 9.2 million extremely low income renters are rent burdened, 5.2 million very low income, and 4 million low income renters are in the same position. By comparison, 664,000 people above the median income in the United States are in the same situation. The National Low Income Housing Coalition notes on this front, quote, the U.S. has a shortage of 6.8 million rental homes affordable and available to extremely low income renters. Only 37 affordable and available rental homes exist for every 100 extremely low income renter household. Extremely low income renters face a shortage in every state and major metropolitan area, including the District of Columbia. Among states, the supply of affordable and available rental homes ranges from only 20 for every 100 extremely low-income renter households in 
Nevada to 61 in Mississippi and Wyoming. Among the 50 largest metropolitan areas in the U.S., the supply ranges from 16 affordable and available rental homes for every 100 extremely low-income renter household in Las Vegas to 50 in Providence, Rhode Island. And one other way to look at this crisis is to look at the issue of waiting lists for housing choice vouchers, which is the main way the U.S. provides funding for affordable housing. As the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities notes, quote, among the 44 housing agencies for which we have data, nearly all have more than 1,000 families on their waiting list, and many have more than 10,000. Across these 44 agencies, more than 737,000 households are experiencing housing instability waiting for help because funding for the program is not adequate to meet the need for eligible households, end quote. And they also note on that front of eligibility that, quote, only one in four households eligible for rental assistance receive it due to funding limitations. And the CBPP reporting on this issue further details, quote, agencies often close their waiting list to keep them manageable. So the number of households on a list doesn't fully represent the demand for vouchers. For example, the New York City Housing Authority has 41,656 households on its list. But the list has been closed since 2007 meaning that many of those tens of thousands of families have been waiting 14 years for assistance. And in speaking to the income issue we raised earlier, they also note, quote, for the 18 agencies that collect income data, 78% of the families have extremely low incomes, defined as below the federal poverty line or below 30% of the area median income, whichever one is higher. The share of extremely low income families is even higher in some agencies, 89% at the Michigan State Housing Development Authority and 99.8% at the Cincinnati Metropolitan Housing Authority, for example. And they also note that there are serious racial disparities here, writing that, quote, for the 20 housing agencies that report these data, black households are disproportionately represented on wait list and in many cases are the majority. 94% of the families on the Housing Authority of Birmingham District's wait list are black in a city where 68% of the residents are black. A similar disparity exists in places where a smaller percentage of the population is black. The households waiting for a voucher from the housing authority of the city of Milwaukee are 90% black, as are 87% of those with the voucher already, and that's in a city whose population is 41% black. One other element here is the ongoing destruction of public housing. The U.S. actually loses about 10,000 units of public housing every year because it's no longer habitable, making a huge dent in the available supply of affordable housing. The repair backlog in public housing is estimated to be about $70 billion. The Budget Reconciliation Bill is proposing about $80 billion in funding for public housing, which alongside state and local appropriation has raised hopes that perhaps serious work can be done to address the deterioration of so much of our public housing stock into slums. All things considered, then, you can see that the idea that funding for housing should be cut rather than substantially expanded is perverse, criminal even. And yet another example of the twisted priorities of a majority in Congress that they'd rather allow tens of millions of people to have no access to an affordable place to live than tax billionaires just a little bit more. Over this past weekend, large protests took place in Tunisia as part of continuing anger with the status quo that has erupted in many protests over the past year and has intensified since September when President Kai Saeed decided to suspend certain parts of the Constitution and rule by decree without parliament. 
The protests were organized on separate days by separate wings of this opposition movement. Saturday, the protests were led by the leftist Tunisian Workers' Party and Sunday by Inahada, an Islamic party that is the largest party in the parliament. And additionally to these protests, as the news website People's Dispatches noted, quote, several prominent leaders and media personalities have been arrested in the country recently. Conservative Party El Karama's NP Abdul Latif Alaluli and TV presenter Amr Ayad were arrested on October 2nd for plotting against state security, quote unquote, after they criticized the appointment of a new prime minister. And the head of the Al-Karama party, Saif Dean Maklouf, was arrested earlier, September 22nd, for, quote unquote, undermining the dignity of the army. So as you can see here, they're rounding on critics of the government. The police also were scored by protesters over the weekend for preventing groups from attending the protests, clearly seeking to curtail the size of the display of opposition. The nature of the protest on both days was mainly centered on the fact that many feel the current president is essentially attempting to restore the pre-2011 dictatorship status quo. And like al-Sisi in Egypt, that the quote-unquote deep state behind the dictatorship is trying to use discontent as a mechanism to roll back the democratic gains of the popular uprising and regain their former position. The Workers' Party in particular has raised a sharper critique along those lines, declaring that Tunisia needs a quote-unquote third way, as opposed to either a renewed neoliberal capitalist dictatorship or an Islamically tinged capitalist democracy, and that there need to be aggressive efforts to address the social and economic issues facing the country, which include high unemployment and serious police brutality issues, which, by the way, were issues that caused uprisings in working-class neighborhoods of Tunis, the capital of the country, this past June. How all this plays out is, of course, yet to be seen, but without a doubt, the struggle in Tunisia is an important commentary on the promise, limitations, and challenges introduced into the region by the Arab Spring. Well, many people may not know that one element of the American Rescue Plan, that was the relief bill passed in President Biden's early days, was that one part of it was an encouragement to states to pay hazard pay to frontline workers. The $195 billion distributed to states explicitly came with the proviso calling on those states to provide increased pay to frontline essential workers at something that would be equivalent to or not exceed $13 an hour in terms of what the extra pay would be and that the overall amount should not exceed $25,000 per person. The Economic Policy Institute has done a new study looking at how Midwestern states have been doling out or not doling out these wage increases. They looked at Midwestern states because most of them are in very good financial health and would not need to use much of the money to cover lost revenues. And that was another big thing that this money was supposed to address. But as EPI lays out, quote, all Midwestern states ended fiscal year 2021 with a positive balance sheet. And nine of 12 Midwestern states saw revenues grow faster than the national median in 2021. End quote. And they note that despite all that, that most Midwestern states aren't doing much of anything on the front of hazard pay. Indiana may be just the most absurd of them all. They've provided extra pay only, only to cops and prison guards, giving them ten and a half million dollars collectively. Illinois has not used any of the American Rescue Plan money to increase wages for frontline workers. Iowa, also nothing. Kansas, also nothing. Michigan did decree a $2.35 an hour raise for direct care and nursing home workers, but as EPI noted, it only covered, quote, registered professional nurses, licensed practical nurses, competency evaluated nursing assistants, and respiratory therapists, which meant that it excluded many workers in nursing homes like nutritionists, custodial employees, and physical therapists. 
Minnesota appropriated $250 million in bonus payments for frontline workers. It established a working group to figure out how to dole that out. They were supposed to present a plan on what they were going to do on September 7th. They did not. Missouri also has provided no-hazard pay from the American Rescue Plan funds. Nebraska, also done nothing. North Dakota, also done nothing. Ohio, yep, you got it, done nothing. South Dakota, nothing for frontline workers. And Wisconsin, same deal. As the Economic Policy Institute summarizes, quote, these states in total will receive $36 billion in American Rescue Plan Act funds. The $720.5 million allocated to hazard pay for essential workers constitutes around 2% of the available monies. All in all, it really tells you something that despite having the cash, authorities in these states are willing to clap for essential workers, but not pay for them. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 